Well, we are continuing on our Lenten sermon series through John's Gospel, and in particular, the Upper Room, where we're focused on Jesus giving instruction and having a very personal and intimate time, specifically with his 11 believing apostles. Judas has already departed. And in this particular section, his focus is on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, the upper room discourse, John 13 through 17, is probably the most elaborate piece of scripture on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. You see references to the Holy Spirit throughout all of scripture, beginning in the Old Testament and running through the Old Testament, through the prophets. You see references to the Holy Spirit, for example, in the New Testament, in various sections of the New Testament, too. The reading you have from Ephesians chapter 5 in the New Testament reading this morning is a continuation from chapter 4. That there's a section of scripture there that talks about the body of Christ and the Holy Spirit working in the body of Christ. First of all, bringing belief and then talking about the gifts of the Spirit working in believers, bringing the body together. And then how we as Christians, in our attitude toward one another, loving one another, working together, how the church should work, individually and corporately together. Another section of Scripture that does a very similar thing is 1 Corinthians 12-14, through 14, which found in the middle is this passage on love. Whole idea of the gifts of the Spirit working in us, transforming us by the power of the Spirit, and love being essential to that. But even then, those passages that Paul talks about aren't nearly as long as this section of Scripture in the upper room, where Jesus is giving, if you will, final instructions before he goes away. He's been talking about going away from them. And in fact, it's almost bookends from the beginning when he starts talking about it, when he talks about their hearts being troubled, and this section. Because at the beginning, he's talking about his death, going away because he's going to die, which they are having a hard time getting their minds around. Here, when he makes reference to it, I've got to go away so I can send the Spirit, he's talking about the ascension. So he's talking about two different times that he will go away from them. But in the process of trying to explain what's coming, trying to teach them, trying to assure them, trying to prepare them. He wants them to know that he's not going to forsake them. That he's going to leave his presence with them. And so he says, I'm going to give you another counselor. And the words in Greek are very significant that we don't exactly catch in the English. And if you've been through the discovery class, you know what I mean. If you haven't, stay tuned. Because another counselor, he says, elos parakletos in the Greek. There's two words in Greek for another. Elos is a word that means Exactly the same kind. So when he says, I'm going to send you another, he's saying, another just like me. The difference is that Jesus was physically present in one body 
God incarnate in one body, spatially located and limited in that one body. When he sends the spirit, the spirit, he says, is like the wind everywhere. Like breath breathing into you, bringing life. Abundant and eternal life. You have to breathe in the Spirit in order to experience this life. But it's the Spirit that brings life. So when he says another, he's saying a spiritual being, a spiritual person, just like me. Not limited to one body like I have chosen to be when I became incarnate but everywhere, and able to be in you as well as with you. And then the word parakletos, paraclete, which means one who draws alongside you. And the various translations of Scripture that you would read, it would be helper, it would be advocate, it would be counselor. All that bring a slight nuance, difference of meaning. Helper would mean someone to strengthen you and comfort you, which he referred to earlier. That they needed comforted because of their hearts being troubled. Counselor, someone who would be like Jesus, walking with them to guide them and teach them. Advocate, someone who would defend them, protect them. And so he's saying, I'm going to send you someone just like me to be with you. That as he says, literally right before he ascends, as we read in Matthew 28, lo, I'm with you always, always. That when we come to this relationship with Jesus and know him as Savior and Lord, he never leaves us or forsakes us. Never. That's his promise. He loves us as a loving father. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. We talked about that two weeks ago. He says, I'm your friend. Greater love has no man than he lay down his life for his friend. He's that kind of friend. And that's the presence that he's trying to impart to them. This is the kind of presence I'm going to leave with you. My Holy Spirit. So what does that look like? He begins to unpack this for them. And that's what we get into in the context of this passage. And it's essential that we get these basics as he lays his foundation in order to have this understanding that our lives might be transformed by this Holy Spirit. And the first thing he says is to prove the world wrong about sin. To prove the world wrong about sin. What does that mean? If we were left to our own devices as to what sin looks like, what would we say? We basically would say, well, you know, really... I'm not that bad of a sinner. You know, sin, I mean, sins are those really bad things that people do. I'm basically a good person. 
If you were to go out on the street and go up to people, just spend an hour or two, just say, could you tell me what sins, sin is? I'm sure it wouldn't be popular to do that. But if you were to do that, you would get a lot of different responses and it would be based on the person's own perspective as to what they think sin is. You know, bad things. How bad they are. What's wrong with the world? And Jesus basically begins with, sin is not believing in Him. Why? Because we need a Savior. Why? Because sin isn't just the sins that we do, the wrong things that we do in our lives. Sin is a condition. We are broken. And in and of ourselves, we wouldn't recognize the actual sins in our lives. That we would try to justify and rationalize the sins in our lives. We want to be right. And that's why the essential thing is to believe in Jesus. And to come to this understanding that we have a condition. And it goes back to Adam and Eve. That we want to be the God of our own lives. We want to call the shots. We want to tell God what's right and wrong. What's good and evil. What sin really is. But it's a condition we have. It's our brokenness. It's our failures. It's our struggles. It's our inability to love God and love other people the way we need to. In order to be a blessing. And he uses this word, prove. And you need to have the different nuances of that word really to understand what he's talking about when he uses the word prove. Because the word means convict, expose. Rebuke. And if you want a picture of what that looks like, turn to 2 Samuel sometime, 2 Samuel 12, when Nathan the prophet comes up to David. Right after he commits adultery with Bathsheba, and then has Uriah the Hittite killed, and then tries to, the whole time, covertly hide it all. He broke at least half the commandments in the process. Okay? And he's just going along his merry way, and Nathan tells him a story and says, you are the man. And he is cut to the heart. And he repents. Why? Because he's exposed. He's convicted. He's rebuked. Fast forward to the New Testament, to Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is poured out and Peter preaches his first sermon. And what does it say at the end of his sermon? The people say, what must we do to be saved? Because they're cut to the heart. They realize they're inadequate. They realize they fall short. Scripture says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Exactly. We're all broken. We all have this condition. 
And Jesus says, believe in me. Trust in me because you need a savior. See, the world doesn't want to hear or be proved wrong or be convicted. And so sometimes we get in denial, we get defensive, we even get angry. Why? Because we want to be in control or we want to hide our sin. And that's not the way to deal with it. We need to come to him. We need to be open to him. We need to allow him to cut us to the heart. Because it's only then, as Jesus goes on to say, about righteousness, that we will become righteous like him. See, what Jesus is about is about taking upon himself our sin so that we might take upon ourselves his righteousness. See, oftentimes what we want to do is we want to be self-righteous. We want to justify ourselves. We want to rationalize our behavior. We are so good at that. Instead of taking on his righteousness. Not because we want to be legally right. Not because we want to be rigid. But because we want to be like Jesus in our love, in our righteousness, in emptying ourselves as Jesus emptied himself. The only way that we are able to be filled with the Holy Spirit and transformed is if we empty ourselves of ourselves. That's the only way. But if we are so convinced we have to be self-righteous, self-centered, it won't happen. Going back to the first and most essential is believing in Jesus. Not in ourselves as the little G God. Not in ourselves being in control. But emptying ourselves so that we can be filled with him. Humbling ourselves. So that we can be filled with his spirit. And transformed and changed. And then he goes on to say about judgment. That we are willing to have those parts of our lives judged by him. As I talked about last week, pruned, those branches pruned by him, taken away. You know, most of us don't like to be judged. I love to be judged. We don't like to be judged. You know, it's kind of like self-flagellation, beat me, beat me. No one wants to be beaten. But when we come to his judgment, his pruning, if you will, the reason he wants to take that away from us is so that we can experience his love and grace more and more. And so that we can love him more completely, so that we can love others more effectively, 
so that we can be more filled with his joy in our lives. That's when we experience joy, not the burdens of life, the joy of life, so that we can be more at peace. That's what he wants for us. That's why this whole section, as he begins to unfold, teaching about the Holy Spirit is, let not your hearts be troubled. But when we stay boxed in by our self-righteousness, it doesn't work. Because we get bound up by our sin then. By our need to control. Instead of purified. Paul writes, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Not of your own doing. You can't do this. You need the Holy Spirit. And as he draws his passage to a close, he says, when the Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. That is the key. That is the foundation. The only way that we're going to understand that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that our lives are going to be slowly transformed by him, to come to this understanding and depth is allowing the Holy Spirit to teach us God's truth, the truth of our lives, the truth about who he is, the truth of how we are called to live a righteous life in him, through him, by him. And it doesn't come by our own strength, by our own will. And it begins with the basics. That's what Jesus is saying. It's basic. Think about when you went to school. Some of you, you've got to think back a long time. But think back when you went to school. In all your classes that you built upon, you had to begin with the basics. I remember when I started in the whole math science realm in my life. I know I didn't end up in that field. But when I started, it was, you know, basic math. Addition, subtraction. Then then learning the times tables, the multiplication tables. And then going on to algebra and geometry and trigonometry and calculus and excelling in calculus, differential equations, integration and physics. And I loved that stuff until God called me to the ministry. Then it changed. I probably couldn't do any calculus now. But I had to begin with the basics in order to get to that point. That is true of any field, of any trade, of any skill, of any master. And Jesus is saying you need to understand the basics. You need to believe in me. You need to allow the Holy Spirit to come to you and wash over you. You need to know your need. That's the bottom line. And once you know your need and you empty yourselves, that we can grow in the knowledge and love of him beyond what we can even imagine. There's this wonderful scripture that sets up the passage in Ephesians. Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, you have part of the reading in front of you. That 
sets the stage for the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Let me read to you from Ephesians 3. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations forever and ever. He's able to do more than we can ask or imagine. You know, part of the problem is we don't ask. We don't pray enough. We don't think to ask because we're still trying to strive and do it on our own. We're still trying to justify and rationalize. Instead of asking. Because he has the power. He has the power and he loves us. And imagine. I can imagine a lot of things. Some of them are even godly. But I want to imagine more and more what he can do. With me and through me. And he can do. As the scripture says. More than we ask or imagine. When we allow the Holy Spirit. To do his work in us. Paul writes in Romans. All Things work together for good. For those who love him and are called according to his purpose. What Jesus is doing here as he builds this foundation with his apostles as he's preparing to go away. As he talks about this love. This greater love in laying down his life for them. The kind of love that he does in going to the cross for them. To take away their sin. To deal with their brokenness. That we are called to love him in return. And then recognize we are called according to his purpose. We don't use God for our purposes. We seek him and his purpose. To be filled with his spirit. And then as Romans goes on to read that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. When we are walking with him, when we are filled with his spirit... Nothing can separate us from His love. We know it. We know it. No matter what struggle or pain or hurt or sin or brokenness comes into your life. Nothing. He wants to fill you. He wants to transform you. He wants you to know his love so that you might love him completely in return. And love others more effectively. And be filled with his joy and at peace. And it begins with the basics. Believing in Jesus and being filled with his Holy Spirit. This day, breathe in, breathe in that breath of life, the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.
Lord God, as you prepared in your son Jesus to leave your apostles physically, not once but twice, that we learn about the person and work of the Holy Spirit and what you long to do in our lives. Lord, I pray this day that everyone here, each of us, would empty ourselves of ourselves. That we would come to that most basic truth of believing in Jesus, not partially, not in a worldly way, but without reservation, wholly and completely, trusting in him alone. Knowing that he sent us this gift, this Holy Spirit, to fill us and transform us. Lord, help us to empty ourselves and to breathe in this life, this gift, and be transformed by your grace more and more each day. And I pray this in your precious name, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.